from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. My guest today is Bruce Eckfeldt, who is a consultant, coach, author, and speaker on organizational development and performance management in the cannabis space. Bruce was originally an architect who pioneered the use of computer-aided design and 3D modeling. He's also the host of Thinking Outside the Bud, a business podcast devoted to talking with leaders in the cannabis space. But now his company, Eckfeldt & Associates, provides business coaching for cannabis companies. We could all use a little bit of coaching. And so I thought, who better to have on the podcast than a little free coaching than Bruce? We're going to talk all about, you know, what Bruce talked to his clients about, how he helps them come up with strategy and management tips um, to scale their businesses and and create, um, you know, thriving company cultures. So, Bruce, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here. So give me a quick elevator pitch about what Eckfeldt and Associates does. Yeah. So our job is to really help companies figure out how they're going to grow and scale. I like to say faster and with less drama. So it's really kind of figuring out strategic growth. How do we set a a clear strategy? How do we line the organization behind that? How do we develop a leadership team that can successfully execute on those priorities and those goals? And, you know, hopefully make the process a little more fun, (laughs) a little less dramatic and get there a little quicker. Right. So when companies bring you on, what is generally the main reason that they are bringing you on board to help them out? Yeah. So I like to say I talk about strategy development and strategy execution. So strategy development is really helping them figure out how they're going to be successful in the market. And, and for me, strategy is about differentiation. What is it that is going to drive your uniqueness? So we're looking for sets of attributes that are going to distinguish us from the competitors and operational capabilities that are going to make those differentiators true. So that's strategy development. Strategy execution is really the discipline around setting goals. I'd like to focus on a a 90-day quarterly planning process, which really says above and beyond just getting the business done or or doing the day-to-day work, what do we need to do to really execute on the strategy? What do we need to focus on? What do we need to put into place? What do we need to instantiate in the business to actually make our strategy true? And there's all sorts of challenges to that. And I basically work with teams to identify those challenges, work through those challenges. A lot of it, I, I talk a lot about, we can't elevate the company. We can't scale a company unless we scale the leadership team. So it's a lot about scaling leadership. Like how, how do we really think, act, behave, mindset at the next level so we can get the company to the next level. So a lot to unpack there. The scaling leadership, I'm interested in that. How does one scale leadership? I think that's often a problem, I think, in, in all new startup companies, right? You start with a certain team that it works when the company is at a certain size, but then the company grows and the team sort of needs to, to grow as well. But then you sort of have one guy who, or woman who's been doing it all and now they want to continue to do it all. You know, it's just hard to now delegate stuff that they hadn't been delegating. So what are some of your suggestions there? Yeah, so I talk a lot about uh, the transition from founder to CEO. And it's really, I start with that lead because that as the CEO goes, the rest of the company is going to go. So I work with him or her to really kind of figure out what are the things, what are the strategies, techniques, mindsets that have worked well to get you to this point, but that will hinder you from the next level. 
right? So delegation is a classic one. A lot of times you have leaders, you have founders, leaders who are truly experts, right? Like they're, they're some of the best people in the world at what they do. And if they continue to feel like theirs is the only way, or they're the only one that can really do this right, that is going to be a problem. That's really going to limit growth. And if you're really not that interested in growing, that's fine. But if you really want to grow and scale the business, you've got to understand and be open to the idea that other people are going to have to make some of these decisions. Yes, you need to set standards. Yes, you need to set vision, but you need to create a, a lot of room in the middle for people to figure out how they're going to execute in their way and their style while still achieving the end results that you want. That is probably one of the big things that, that I work with is getting those founders out of the day-to-day -day and thinking more strategically and more about creating capacity in the organization. The other one I find is just the what is general area of focus. And, and the big transition that I find between founders and CEOs is the shift of focus from internal to external. So a founder is very focused on designing products, working with customers, selling deals, establishing processes. A CEO is going to be much more focused on where the market is, where are the new opportunities, what's going on with the customers, understanding what comp the competition is doing. And they really need to be the voice of the organization and the, and the part of the organization that's out in the world making the market. And then bringing those insights back into the team for processing, strategic, putting into a strategic framework and figure out how they're going to execute on it. And I would say that's, that's one of the big challenges I find founders go through is if, if you can't make that jump from being internally focused to externally focused, it's going to hinder the growth of the company. So this, this must be tricky for you because a lot of times you're probably hired by the founders, right? To be, and then you're telling, basically you're hired by the people that are telling you, you guys need to kind of move out of the way and let a CEO take charge or whatever recommendation you make. So how do you balance that? It's very hard for founders to give up control, I would imagine. It can be. I mean, one of my kind of prospecting <laughs> criteria, <laughs> you know, is I, I basically talk to the founders and say, look, and, and I'm fine if they are, if they're not sure. And I'm fine if they want to reserve, if they decide at some point they don't want to grow because they don't want to make that transition. Or quite honestly, if they decide that they don't want to be the CEO, they want to bring in a CEO and they want to be chief product officer, or they want to go into, you know, they want to be sales or they want to do marketing or something like that, that's fine. I and mean, we can we can find roles for a founder that are not the CEO that are still highly influential and that that still give you your ownership. I mean, that I always split ownership from management. But what I'm looking for in the process is, is willingness and openness to kind of consider that and have those discussions and, and potentially go through those changes. If in that prospecting process or I'm in that conversation with someone who's interested in working with me, I don't feel like they're open or aware enough or they're not going to be able to have that conversation, it's probably not a good fit. And they're probably not going to be they probably really don't want to scale to the level that I, I typically work with companies on. What are some of the, so you talk about scaling leadership. What are some of the other facets of a company you look, look at when, when looking to scale? Yeah. So there, there's sort of six general areas that I look at. So people, right? So do you have the right people in the right seats doing the right things, right? It's just, have you found the right talent for the strategies that you're trying to execute on? And have you structured the organization in such a way that people have the right seats, you're deploying that talent in an effective way. Strategy being this whole issue of, have you figured out a differentiating model? Do you know how you're going to differentiate yourself in the market? And do you know the capabilities that are going to drive that? Execution is all about processes, procedures, and it's always a balance, right? You don't want to get too bureaucratic, but you need to build in repeatable processes that have standard operating procedures, systems, metrics around that to make sure that things are executing well. Cash, we talk a lot about. Do you, I always say, Growth consumes cash in 98% of business models. So you need to make sure that you know where your cash is going to come from, either internally or externally. Where's your capital going to come? Or are you going to generate enough profit to feed that? And then 
planning and culture. So planning is really the disciplines around the meetings and the setting priorities and executing those priorities. And then culture is really the foundations of, you know, what are the core values? Are you living your core values? Have you really differentiated that? What is it like to be here? And how is that different from other companies? And are you using that to attract the right talent? So th- those are like six areas that I find you kind of have to get right. Now, I'm always, I'm a big uh, limiting constraints, theory of constraints believer in that every company is defined by, is limited by a constraining factor, a limiting factor in business. And we're always looking for that. And it might be in any one of those areas, but the goal is to find that limiting constraint, focus on that limiting constraint, elevate it, and we'll elevate the company. The challenge is that as soon as you elevate it, it will jump, right? It will shift to a different part of the company. So it's, I call it the game of whack-a-mole. As soon as, as soon as we address something, we've got to go, we've got to keep our eyes open for the next thing that's going to pop up. And we need to go focus on that. And that's how we're going to incrementally raise the, raise the performance and, and uh, grow the company. The issue of differentiating yourself, I would imagine, I mean, most companies when they start, you know, that's like kind of like business 101, right? How are we different? What problem are we solving in the market? But do you, do you go even more granular with companies than their initial sort of, how do you figure out what differentiates your company from others? Yeah. So the, yeah, the, there's, there's a bit of a process to it, but it's, it's the essence of it is you've got to figure out who our best customers are. Like what, what, is the, what is the core customer? What is the ideal customer? And that's going to be a function of who is profitable who is a pleasure to serve and who promotes us in the market, right? If we can figure out, we can evaluate our current customer base based on those three criteria, we'll naturally get a couple of customers that bubble to the top. Once we can identify those, we're starting, we look at basically what are the unique characteristics of those customers relative that are different from other customers, not so good customers. And that gives us a target profile. Once we have that profile, we really look in at what are the dozen, two dozen attributes, things that they really care about, characteristics, criteria that they choose on, and we want to pull out two or three that we have a unique advantage in or could develop a unique advantage in in the market. So it all depends on the market and the customers in terms of what's going to drive that. It might be things around pricing, could be terms, could be product attributes, could be around service, could be about you know product qualities. But we want to figure out where where is their opportunity in the market to own what we call white space, you know, own own a, an area that is underserved in the market. And once we identify that, that will drive our operational capabilities. And the idea is, is everything should be focused on that. And if we can really align ourselves around those things, we can tailor or we can zero in our resources, our time, our energy, our money into making those things really, really well. And quite honestly, anything else, we only really want to be as good as the, the minimal minimal requirement of the market, meaning that we're willing to suck basically at anything else. <laughs> like we need to be up to the market, like a minimal market standard, but we don't want to try to do anything more than that because it's just going to show up resources that we could spend otherwise. And that's really what drives strategy. And, and I, that, I turned that into a 12-month or a 12-quarter roadmap, a three-year plan, which is basically a series of milestones for the operational team of saying, okay, well, if you're going to be exceptional at customer service, and we've said that these are the things that define exceptional customer service, when do they come into play over the next 12 quarters? We put milestones and that drives the quarterly planning process. You talked about finding the right people and we talked about leadership, but even levels down from leadership, how do you ensure that the right people are being hired? What are some of the tips you give on that? front. Yeah. And this is a particularly hard one in cannabis just because the, the market is, you know, has been expanding rapidly enough that there is not enough kind of organic growth of people inside cannabis. So a lot of people are coming in from other markets. So a lot of the times what we're doing is trying to figure out how, where are we going to find folks that have skills and capabilities that we can quickly retrain into the, into a cannabis situation that are going to fit both the sort of the culture and the values of the company, but also the culture and the values of the cannabis industry. And so a a lot of what I'm working on, or I kind of work with 
customers, when I work with clients, helping them figure out what are those core values? What are the things that really define cultural fit inside the company? And how do we assess that as part of our recruiting, our interviewing, onboarding process, and making sure that we've got good alignment on those things? You know, Generally, we can train skills pretty well, and we can get people up to speed on processes and procedures. It's really hard to change core values. Uh, it's just, generally, you're not going to make a whole lot of movement on core value side. I also use, I'm a, I work with a couple of different assessment companies. Uh, Predictive Index is one that I use quite a bit. And tools like that, I find are pretty good at getting fairly far on that question fairly quickly. And we do some stuff around you know, job analysis that gives us a good understanding of what are the job requirements. And then we can do cultural fit analysis. And, you know, and it helps accelerate that process. The other thing I say is, you, you know, you're basically interviewing for the first six months of employment, right? Just because someone gets hired doesn't mean that it's a done deal and that you've made all the right decisions. And so you need to continue to, you know, make sure that you're evaluating and, and people are aligned and it should be part of the process to, to have that six month period as part of hiring. That's interesting. Six months is the time you think that you, you really can get a sense of somebody's, you know, whether they're a good fit. Yeah. That, that's generally what I find. I mean, it just, it takes people to kind of find their footing to kind of go back to kind of, someone can keep up a unnatural way of being for a couple of months, but they can't do it for longer than six months. Like they, they will, they will revert to natural behavior after about six months. So at that point, I feel like you've got a pretty good sense of who, who they really are and how they're going to show up long-term at that point. Let's talk about core values. I've been to many a company retreat where we sit around a conference room table and we start brainstorming. What are our values? Like we got to, we got to do our mission statement. Is that your process? Like, how do you get companies to figure out what the core values are and how do you even, what's even the question that you ask to come up with your core values? So I have a little, maybe a little bit different take on, on core values than some other folks that do org work like this. So what I'm looking for uh, is a set of core values. And for each value, I want an anti-value. And the anti-value is the thing you are willing to give up to live your value. And that ordered pair has to be such that I could invert it. I could switch them and give it to another company and have it be totally acceptable. For example, if you are a company that's really competitive, it's like, you know, you just thrive on kind of head-to-head competition and driving each other and pushing each other, that's great. That's a, that's a value. But you need to identify that there's something you're going to give up. You'd say you give up collaboration, right? And that's fine, right? You can say, look, we thrive on competition and we're just not as collaborative. And that's okay. That's who you are. But I could take that and I could flip it around and give it to a different company and say, another company could choose to be really collaborative or they could have a core value of collaboration. And they're willing to give up on competitiveness, right? They're not head-to-head competitors. And if you look at their policies, procedures, how they set up their teams, how they give bonuses, that should be reflected in each one of those companies differently. But they're not right or wrong. They're just a choice. They're an acknowledgement of who we are and, and an embracing of that and using that to really differentiate us from other companies so that when you're hiring somebody, you should be having questions around how competitive or how collaborative are they. And if they're a super collaborative person and you're a really competitive company, that's great, but they're probably not a great fit. And they should probably, they're going to be more successful in a different environment. So the reason I do that is one, it becomes a choice. Like it becomes an acknowledged choice about who we are and who we're not. It also, it throws out all of what I call the table stakes ones, right? Honesty, integrity, you know, all this. Yes, those, you just need to do those things as a business. Those aren't core values. Those are just good business practices. And unless you really, I've had a couple of people make some arguments that, like the security, internet security company I worked with, and they had security as a value, like taking it to another level, and they had some trade-offs and everything. But generally, it, for me, it's a, it's a better way of making core values useful, meaning that they're, they're a tool for making decisions about who you're going to hire, what clients you're going to take on, what do your policies look like, how are you going to structure the organization? Like those, those are useful in making decisions about how we're going to grow and scale. 
All right. Lastly, I want to talk to you about company culture and enhancing company culture. And I think this is kind of always last on people's priority list, or maybe not, but in a lot of companies, people just don't even think about this piece. So I'm curious what you mean when you talk about company culture and where you put it in terms of importance in scaling a business. So, I mean, company culture for me is there's sort of, it's like um, genetics. You have some DNA and then you can express that DNA in different situations in different ways. So while your genetics don't necessarily change, how you choose to kind of use them, express them are going to be a choice that you can use at different times in your kind of corporate life. So what I'm looking for in company culture is a good acknowledgement of who we are. So some of its core values and it's our history and it's our purpose. Why are we here? And you, could, you can take those lots of different ways, but there are certain ways you just can't take it. So at, at some level, it's just acknowledging, look, this is who we are. This is how we work. This is what we want to achieve. We can still set lots of different goals within that framework, but there are some bounds to it. Once we identify that is then deciding at this point in time in the company, what are the things that we really need to focus on and express to get to the next level? So it, it, it will depend on somewhat what they are, but like sort of the example of the competitiveness, in some cases, we may want to lean on that really hard. Like we may, it may serve us really well at a point in time in the company. And we want to really make that something we focus on and really drive and incorporate into what, what we do and how we do it. And then another time it may not. And we may want to de-emphasize that and focus on another, another part of our culture to get us through that process. So for me, it's this acknowledgement of who we are and who we're not, but then also figuring out what is the thing that's going to serve us best, given the challenges that we're facing at this point in time. Do you have any sort of case studies that you're able to talk about publicly of yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess th things that have come up with me with clients, so I work with a lab and their precision, the whole idea of precision was really important to them, right? So, I mean, obviously it came from their sort of DNA as scientists and, and process oriented people, but it really evoked, like we, we leaned on it for all sorts of things inside the company because they had a culture of being precise and had trade-offs, right? Like it, it made certain things difficult. But by acknowledging it and using it in the times that was useful really helps sort of set the standards and decide how we're going to set policies and things like that. Competitiveness is one that comes up a lot. But the team structure is another one. I think there's a couple of companies that I've worked with that have really made decisions. Either we're going to be very individual focused or we're going to be very team focused. And that, that's a decision that's really going to change how they structure themselves, how the teams are organized, how the reporting process works, how bonuses work. Like all those things can get tied up in some of those questions. But it starts with this acknowledgement and this kind of discussion and acknowledgement of who, who are we and what is that underlying value that we're going to focus on. You came, so you previously worked as an architect and you were in a in different industry. What is unique in consulting for cannabis companies? What do you think is unique to cannabis companies, unique about cannabis companies as opposed to the, to the other companies as far as their sort of challenges that they face when they're trying to scale their business? So there's kind of internal and external. So the internal ones, I would say, you know, we talked a little bit about talent. I, th I think that's one of the big challenges of many cannabis companies is just access to talent. There's not you know, you're not going to find people with enough people with 20 years experience in cannabis to be able to grow and scale a company. You've got to figure out how to repurpose, reposition people from other industries effectively. I would say process and procedure is as you grow and scale, you're going to need to be able to work within more kind of rigorous, disciplined uh, processes and procedures. I think that's generally a challenge for a lot of cannabis companies. Externally, the big issue is as a strategic coach, you know, when I'm working on strategy, it's horribly complicated when we start going through all the different kind of scenarios that we could be in from a regulatory point of view, from a legal point of view. And, you know, on one hand, it's challenging. I mean, it's challenging to kind of figure out, okay, yeah, if we, if we get federally, we go federally descheduled, what is that going to mean? How is it going to change the business? What's going to happen in the market? 
but there's also huge amounts of opportunity. And that's one of the reasons I love being in cannabis as a strategic coach is that the opportunity to make plays, the opportunity to kind of figure out where the puck is going to be and figure out how do we position ourselves to be there so we can make the play. That it, Cannabis has a lot of those things, but you need to kind of both have a process and a mindset around taking advantage of that and not letting that be, oh, this is really tough. This, like, there's all these regulatory issues that makes our business challenging. Yeah, I mean, that's the playing field. I mean, you, you've got to figure out how to operate within that. And if you can do that well, you can, you know, you can out operate, you can out execute the competition on those things. So I would say those are the big ones. I mean, uh, you know, at some level, cannabis, growing cannabis companies is, has challenges that any growth company would have, but you have some unique ones given the market, given the kind of context that cannabis exists within. Well, Bruce Eckfeld, his company is Eckfeld and Associates. Thank you, Bruce, for joining us. If people want to find out more about you, is there a website they can go to or? Yeah, uh, really easy. Just Eckfeld.com, E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T.com. And I'm just Bruce at Eckfeld.com if you want to email. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.